Uh, this morning we'll continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. So if you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible underneath the seat in front of you, you should be able to find one of those blue Bibles. And in those Bibles will be on page 494, page 494. Uh, as you're turning there, I'd just love to uh, say thanks to the men that preached uh, while I was away several weeks on sabbatical. Uh, we're blessed to have um, a, a myriad of people who are competent in the Scriptures, able to teach, and willing to put in the time. So uh, thank you to each of you who did that, and uh, thank you, church, for uh, some time to be away and study and prepare for uh, the fall. Additionally, just real quickly to uh, let you be uh, encouraged, I hope, uh, today's the start of our fall uh, season in which we're back to two gatherings, and that meant uh, the new fall uh, initiative of serving is now underway, and uh, I learned this morning that 116 people have committed to ongoing Sunday morning ministries for the next year. That's tremendous, so thank you for your willingness. Tim would like us to clap, so we can clap. Your shiny head attracted me to you. your clapping, so thank you for that. Um, so thank you for the contribution you're making to the life of uh, the body. Today we come to uh, what is the final passage in the middle section of the Gospel of Mark. And it has a way of both concluding what has come before and anticipating what's to come. And the story this morning centers around a blind man. Now, fascinatingly, the first story in this section of the book of Mark also is about a blind man. And so there's a sense in which the middle part of the Gospel of Mark is bookended by two blind men. And in a section of this book in which from chapter 8 to the end of chapter 10, Jesus has been communicating, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. That's why I've come. And he's been much more explicit about it in this middle section than he was in the first section. And additionally to that, he's been telling his disciples, look, guys, this pattern of giving your life away in service to others and it costing you tremendously is not only to be lived by me, it's also to be lived by you. And they're not getting it. And that section, it begins with a story of a blind guy, and it ends with a story of a blind guy. I think I'd want to ask us, why would Mark do that? Why would Mark bookend that particular topic with blind men? Well, here's why. In the case of the first blind man, way back in Mark chapter 8, there were more blind people there than just that blind guy. And what we'll see this morning is that although the story contains only one man with physical blindness, it contains quite a few people who were rather spiritually blind. Now keep that in mind as we work our way through the passage. If you would look with me please at verse 46, it says this, And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, 
the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The city of Jericho was the last major stopping point for people traveling from the north part of Israel up in Galilee and making their way to the city of Jerusalem. And just outside the city's main gate sat a blind man. Now, this is the first century, and so none of the modern assistance that someone with a disability would have existed. In fact, people thought very differently then about people who had physical problems. And so, for example, crosswalks didn't beep to tell you when it was safe to walk. There were no books or buttons on the elevator with Braille. Those little bumpy things, do you know when you go to a store and you take your cart and you're going out and you go over those, you know what I'm talking about? Those are for blind people so that uh, in using their stick to get around, they can feel those and don't wander into the parking lot and get run over. That didn't exist. No Americans with Disabilities Act guaranteed one's rights. And so in Jericho, as in, frankly, many parts of the world even today, to be blind meant not only that you couldn't see, it meant that literally everything in your life was hard. And that you were destined for poverty. And so this blind man, Bartimaeus, he had never enjoyed a baby's smile. He never beheld the brilliance of a sunset, the darkness of the womb where he spent his first nine months was only his introduction to the darkness of the rest of his life up to this point. We don't know his age, but however old he was, he suffered not only from a disability, but he also suffered the sufferings of poverty, of shame, and of being ostracized. Because at this point, it was believed that if you had a physical problem, it's because you had in some way been disobedient to God, and God was punishing you. Bartimaeus would have typically got up in the morning, and somehow, probably someone led him outside the city gate, where he would then sit down just off the dirt road and beg. Each time he heard somebody come by, he he might have said, just a mite or two, just a mite or two. And if someone was kind enough to give him a little bit, then he'd be able to eat that day. If not, then he didn't. That was his lot in life. But one faithful day, everything changed. It's the day we'll be uncovering and considering this morning. The Passover celebration was drawing near, and so all the faithful Jews who lived up in Galilee were making their way slowly, steadily toward Jerusalem, and they would have passed right by him. But on one particular day, the crowds were much, much larger than normal. I imagine there were other people there with other kinds of physical difficulties. Perhaps there was one who could see, 
And so Bartimaeus heard a much larger crowd than normal and maybe he said to the guy next to him, what's all the commotion about? And that guy said, well, Jesus of Nazareth, the one all of us have heard a lot about, Jesus of Nazareth is passing through and he's got quite the entourage. That's why it's so loud. In fact, he's right over there. And in that moment, Bartimaeus, out of nowhere, began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Being unemployable, Bartimaeus had a a lot of time to think. And apparently, he had heard the old, what we would call the Old Testament enough that he had internalized the promises and knew them well, that one day a Messiah would come and that Messiah would lead God's people and they would have much better lives because that Messiah had in fact come. News of Jesus' birth would have spread to Jericho. He would have heard what Jesus was doing up in Galilee who he was, how he taught, the miracles he did, all that would have made its way to Jericho. And prior to Jesus ever being there, Bartimaeus had become absolutely convinced that God had kept his promises, that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Now, if these ideas are new to you, uh, they were new to all of us at some point, take that blue Bible in the chair from Uh, underneath the chair in front of you, take it home with you, and turn later today to a place in the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of the Bible. There's an index in the beginning, a table of contents, and you can look there for a book called 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel 7, you'll see this promise listed for the first time, that God told somebody named David, King David, through your descendants, will eventually come a king who will lead God's people forever. When Bartimaeus is crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's calling back on that promise a thousand years before from 2 Samuel chapter 7. So hear him. Hear the blind man all of a sudden shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then listen to the next verse. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I think this is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. This is tragic. There is a chronic sufferer crying out for help, but the disciples in the crowd only sought to silence him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, man. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Knock it off. Zip it, you nasty nobody. Jesus is an important person. He doesn't interact with people like you. Jesus, son of... For the last time, shut your mouth or I'll shut it for you. 
human cruelty knows no bounds. They're not trying to keep Bartimaeus off the kickball team. Now, he wouldn't have been very good at that, but they're not trying to keep him from some piddly little thing. They're keeping him. They're impeding his potential from physical and spiritual help. They're making it harder for him to get to Jesus. Earlier in Mark 10, there's a story of people bringing their kids, bringing children to meet Jesus. And in the first century, kids were not thought of like they are today. They weren't the little gods that all of life revolves around. They were set aside, ignored. When you get older, you'll matter. And Jesus recognized that the disciples were stopping. They were serving as a dam, keeping kids coming to him. And if you read the story earlier in the chapter, it, it uses the word indignant to describe Jesus' response. It made him very angry. And so he busted their chops. And yet here we are just probably just a couple of days later. The disciples are doing the exact same thing. You see, they're keeping somebody who was a nobody, like the kids, from Jesus. Church, may we never create barriers that impede people from spiritual progress. May we never function as speed bumps or detours or construction zones, slowing down anyone's approach to Jesus. How easy it is to become people that look down on others and sort of puff ourselves up and think, because we know more and we've been doing the church thing a while, Jesus made a good choice in us. But them, they don't, they, don't, they don't deserve Him. There ought to be a church in downtown Tempe where that never, ever, ever happens. A people ready to embrace anyone who's crying out to Jesus. Why not us? Why not here? But despite that cruel scolding, if you look, it says that Bartimaeus kept right on shouting. He was undeterred. He was absolutely convinced that if ever something was going to be different in his life, it was going to be because Jesus helped him and that Jesus was within earshot. Well, let's see how Jesus responds. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and, and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Now, the irony there. They have gone from, shut up. He doesn't care about you. To, take heart. Isn't that how crowds work? Aren't we overrun with that in our day? There is a fickleness to the public. Take heart. 
Get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. If Bartimaeus was excited when he heard Jesus was passing by, imagine how he felt when he's told Jesus is calling for you. His heart was probably beating out of his chest because Jesus, the son of David, noticed him. This crowd was following Jesus, and so when Jesus stopped, that meant the crowd stopped. Everything came to a screeching halt. And they would have expected it to be somebody important that Jesus stopped to notice, but it was a blind beggar no one else paid any attention to other than to tell him to zip it. And filled with faith, Bartimaeus leaped up, and it tells us this little detail that seems so odd that he threw off his cloak. It doesn't mean he got naked. What it's talking about is his outer garment. And almost certainly, this would have been the thing that as Bartimaeus sat, he opened so that as he begged, if somebody tossed money in, that's where it went, went in his cloak. And it very well may be that there's a picture here that he's leaping up, no longer caring about that thing that had been his bank account, if you will. I'm tossing it aside because when Jesus calls, I'll give up anything and everything. This is nothing. He's doing exactly the thing earlier in Mark 10 the rich guy wouldn't do. He's leaving everything because Jesus is calling. Bartimaeus now, even though he couldn't see, is standing face to face with Jesus, the son of David. Imagine that moment. Friend, if you've ever felt unnoticed, like your whole life is just white noise, you're around but nobody cares. You don't get texts, you don't get phone calls, you could disappear and nobody would know. If you've ever felt like that, don't miss this picture. Jesus, the most important person alive, is headed to Jerusalem to do the most important thing he came to do. And he stopped for a blind beggar. Jesus will stop for you. He is never too busy, he's never in a rush, he's never beyond earshot. He is not indifferent. Jesus will respond. This reminds me of the promise in Romans chapter 10. It's up here on the screens. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Bartimaeus called out to Jesus in faith, and Jesus 
responded. That's what Romans 9 declares is typical, is normal, is what Jesus always does for anyone who calls out to Him in faith. Friend, that means if you're not a Christian, that Romans 10 is giving you the most important message today you could ever hear. That if you believe Jesus came, that He lived a perfect life of obedience before God, in order that He could die as a substitute in your place, and that on the third day He rose again, and you recognize your own need for Him. If those pieces are in place in your mind, then all you need to do is do exactly what Bartimaeus did. It's say, in your own words, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And that says, you will be saved. What a promise. And if you're already a Christian, beloved, if God responded to your humble cry for help when you were a filthy beggar, how much more will He respond to you now that you've been welcomed and adopted into His family? He is ever attentive, always ready to respond to your need. Bartimaeus, I think, is a great model for us. If we have a legitimate need, cry out to God. Let's read on. Look at verse 51, would you? Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because last week in the passage that uh, Josh so helpfully taught us, there's a spot where the exact same question is used. Now, it won't be on the screens, but look back. Just turn your eyes over to verse 35. It says this, And James and John, these are two disciples of Jesus, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Now, generally, we could probably say that's not the best way to approach God. But how often do our prayers come from that posture? So that's how they come. And then here's Jesus' response, verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Same exact word for word question. James and John went on to tell Jesus, basically, we want you, when, you're, um, when you've ascended to your throne and your crown is on your head, we want you to look around and say, we are better, James and John, these two, they're better than everyone else alive. And so I will exalt them and they'll be on my right and my left where they can always turn to me and say, we want you to do for us whatever we want. So here's what I'd like. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And he's always do it because they're the greatest. That's essentially what they wanted. Then in the very next story, we find the exact same question. Why? Friend, if you're bored when you read the Bible, I want to encourage you, spend some time with somebody, there's a lot of them here, who know what they're doing and can help you. There was a time I found the Bible incredibly boring, like, oh my gosh, but I didn't have any idea what I was doing. 
This is an example of that, of, of there's so much there. Because, you see, to, to have a, a story about James and John wanting something they should not want, and then another story right next to it, in which Jesus used the exact same question. The author's telling us, you're supposed to compare them. These are there to compare and contrast that we might learn an appropriate seeking of God. Does that make sense? Um, in a class called Disciple Makers, we do every fall. It's going to start in just a couple of weeks. We literally help people learn for yourself how to see stuff like that. I'd encourage you, if you haven't done it yet, come, on, uh, to, uh, come at 6.30 on the 24th. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> that happens like once a decade. would love to have you come. Now, let's do just that. In arrogance, James and John were self-consumed. They wanted Jesus to elevate them. They presumed on their own worthiness. Bartimaeus, on the other hand, knew himself to be unworthy. He was a man well acquainted with his need. He had no puffed up sense of self-worth. He had no sense of entitlement. He knew that as a human being, he was a creature dependent on his God. And he knew that as a sinful man, God owed him nothing. And he knew his lowly status in society. He's the exact opposite of James and John. Now, how do we know that? Well, there's two big clues in the story. Do you see how his crying out to Jesus wasn't, Jesus, I've suffered all these years. God has not been nice to me. You're finally here. Fix it. That's not what he said. He said, have mercy. What's mercy? It's receiving something from a higher that you don't deserve. That's mercy. The second way we know that he saw himself in this way is he called out to Jesus, Rabbi, I want to see my sight. I want, I want, to, I want to recover my sight. It'd be weird to see your sight. <laughs> Rabbi. Rabbi means master. He's positioning himself as a lowly servant. He exalted Jesus. James and John pushed Jesus down and exalted themselves. That's why the response is so much different from last week to this one. Look at verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus healed him. He healed him. This is the last healing in the book of Mark. And it was given to a man who was a bum, who had absolutely nothing, who did not in the worldly sense deserve anything from God. And yet, he stands as a shining example in Mark in this way. If you sat and just read through the book, this would probably be obvious. But when we go through it over time, there's some things we miss. This is 
the first and outside of Jesus later saying it about himself, the only time in the Gospel of Mark where anyone confesses Jesus to be the son of David. And so this Old Testament promise that's in so many places, the shining example of someone confessing that isn't Peter, it isn't James, it isn't John. I could go down the list of the other nine. It's a beggar, a blind beggar, who though he could not see here, he could see here. He was convinced Jesus is the promised one. And isn't that how the kingdom of God works? God specializes in rescuing people who the world would think they don't matter. Why? Because it highlights His grace, His glory, that God's kingdom isn't about getting in because you know the right people. It's about the grace and mercy of God. Bartimaeus' first sight was the compassionate face of the son of David. How amazing is that? The first thing he ever sees are the, the warm and welcoming eyes of Jesus. There's a spiritual parallel here, of course. Theologians call it regeneration. God opens sinners' dead hearts and darkened minds. He turns the spiritual light on, if you will. And then because that light is on, they can look around and see, oh, I'm really messed up, and oh, he's really good. And they respond with faith and repentance in the gospel and are saved. Bartimaeus' only hope for physical sight was Jesus. Today, as it's always been, our only hope for spiritual sight is Jesus. An amazing story, isn't it? Now, what are we to take away from it? I think there are at least four key applications for us. I'd like to spend our remaining few minutes together considering them. Number one, we began this morning by saying that Mark began his first story in this section of Mark was about a blind man. And if you have slept since then, or you're here for the first time, let me tell you very briefly what that was. Jesus was uh, traveling, and he came across a man who was also blind and wanted healing. And so it's kind of nasty, but Jesus spit in his eyes. I guess if you're blind, you'll take anything. Jesus spit in his eyes, he rubbed it around, and then he said, do you see? And, 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 and the blind man said back to Jesus, well, kind of. I see people walking around and they look like trees. And it's such a bizarre part of the Gospels. What, what is happening? This is in Mark 8, if you want to look there. And it sort of feels like, Jesus, did you like get up? Did you not get a good night's sleep the night before? Because some of your, some of your sauce is just not working. That guy can kind of see, but he can't really see. We know that's not true, so what's going on? Well, Jesus then finished the healing. 
in the very next story, or um, the, the, the connection with the story uh, around it is this. Peter had responded to Jesus when Jesus said, who do you say I am? Jesus said, you're the Christ. Peter said, you're the Christ. And Jesus said, you're right. And then he went on to tell the disciples, but you got to understand what kind of Messiah, what kind of Christ I am. I'm going to go to Jerusalem where I'm going to be killed. And Peter said, Jesus, sidebar, quit saying that. The Messiah doesn't die. The Messiah comes in and conquers. And, and then we hit that story, the story of the blind man being healed in two stages. What's going on? Well, the blind man was to serve as a, a living parable of a spiritual truth. It's that Peter and the other disciples kind of saw Jesus. They saw he's the Messiah, but they didn't see he's the Messiah who's going to die. You with me? Then we have all these other stories, and then we hit this last one, story of another blind man. Well, there were more blind people there because this story is meant to point to the one that just was before it, in which James and John say, Jesus, we want to be the dudes. We want you to lift us up. We want to sit on your right and left in the kingdom. We want to use you for our own good in a way that lowers who you are and exalts who we are. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't understand the way things work in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, greatness is found in service, in sacrifice, in giving up your life. And then we hit the story of Bartimaeus. You see what, see what Mark has brilliantly done? He said, be careful that you're not blind to how the kingdom of God works. Be careful that your own expectations of Jesus don't conceal, don't blind you to who he really is. Church, it might be that some of us have been blinded by our own expectations of Jesus. How would you know if that's you? Well, are you frustrated with the Lord today in some specific way? Has Jesus not been meeting your expectations? Well, if so, guess who's wrong? What God gives us is so much bigger and better and more wonderful than what we could ever imagine, even though at times it doesn't feel like it. This story gives us a takeaway, this whole section of Mark, is that it's easy to be a bit blind. How do you get the right vision of who Jesus is? Well, read the Gospels. Read them often. Read them in community. And then see them worked out in the life of a church. Not only a church you come to and are a part of for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, but that relationally begins to fill your life in which you're living out the Christian faith, practicing the one another's, seeing Christ present as He works through us. Number two, 
Second takeaway. Remember that very often it is our sense of need that compels us to cry out to Jesus. As I look back over the last 30 years or so I've been a Christian, by far, head and shoulders above every other season, the times I've grown the most have been times I was aware of my need. There have been times full of inability, weakness, heartache, sadness. Because when we run into problems that we can't solve, which is always true, it is then that we really lean on God, isn't it? Don't bemoan your difficulties and hardships. Don't stiff arm and get angry about stuff that comes your way that's hard. Instead, see them as the, uh, the, entre- the, the, the appetizer to the entree of deeper dependence on God. God uses hardship, suffering, neediness to teach us to rely on Him. A third takeaway and what I think is the main point of this passage is that needy people who cry out to King Jesus will experience His mercy and power. It's worth saying again, needy people who cry out to Jesus will experience the mercy and power of God. How do we know that? Well, we see it in Bartimaeus' life and we hear it promised in Romans chapter 10. Friend, if you don't know God and yet you believe the essential message of the Bible, then Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God's raising from the dead and you might be saved if you say it in just the right way. You might be saved if you, if you start cleaning up your life. You might be saved if you come to church and give money. No, it doesn't say any of that says, you will be saved. Bartimaeus didn't clean himself up. He just jumped up because Jesus called. You don't have to clean yourself up. Just cry out to him, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he will. And Christian, Jesus still longs that we would cry out to him that we would be dependent on Him. Because our neediness, of course, doesn't end when we become followers of Jesus. For the rest of our lives, we will need God. Bartimaeus is a great example for us. Did you come today with a need? Then I'll encourage you to cry out to Jesus. He will respond. Now, I very much doubt you're going to hear him physically speak to you. uh, What's that word? Thank you. Audibly. A little rusty up here. I I doubt you're going to audibly hear him. I never have. And he may not meet the need quickly, like immediately. And he may not meet it in the way you wanted him to. But God responds to his people. God takes care of his people. He has mercy on us. Amen? Now finally, a a fourth and final takeaway 
as we begin another semester of ministry together, and as Tempe swells with people returning from summer trips, as schools resume, as tens of thousands of college students descend on us, as in a a couple of months from now it'll get cooler, and so more and more and more homeless people will be around. Let's pause and ask God to help us be sensitive to the needs of those around us. You might this week bump into an international student who's literally been off the plane for a few hours and doesn't know a soul. You might come across a homeless man or woman this week who it's been six months since anyone looked them in the eye and said anything kind. You might come across somebody who has a need you can help with. Let's be a church who is not so busy that we are cruel and indifferent. May we remember our own neediness and the way God has poured His love into our hearts that then that love might spill out to others. Will you stand with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for, in your kindness to us, recording this amazing account that a blind nobody had with the King of kings and Lord of lords, with the Son of David. Thank you for the way in which it teaches us and reminds us and Maybe for the first time somebody's hearing that God is not aloof, far away, indifferent, and grumpy. That He responds to those who cry out to Him for help. I pray this morning that all of us in ways appropriate to our present circumstances would do just that. And that in the coming hours and days and weeks and months, you would use us to see the Bartimaeuses around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been great to be with you today. Let's go with the words of Ephesians.